Go ahead and be seated. Let's do two things today as we have our uh, prayer time. We haven't done this one in a long time. Is there somebody you need to reach out to? Uh, you might want to make a note that uh, you're going to call them later on or send a card or some kind of a communication uh, with them. Or if you've got the capability, go ahead and send them a text right now and just say, I'm lifting you up in prayer and uh, just encourage somebody. I uh, hear from time to time when we do this that uh, somebody will text me or something and say, I just got two or three texts from people at the church meant so much to know that they're praying for me. Somebody may need that encouragement right now. So I'm going to give you a chance to do that. And then the second thing that was uh, on my heart this morning is to pray for lost people. All of us know somebody who has never trusted Christ. All of us know that uh, the only way for salvation is through Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. We just sang about it. All of us know the joy and the peace and also, don't discount this, the rest that we have from putting our trust in Jesus Christ. We ought to want that for other people. So take a moment and um, make a note to contact somebody or go ahead and shoot them a text and then think about somebody who doesn't know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Think about people that um, are at our Mission 405 food pantry that are cold and hungry and are going to be receiving blessings through our church and through our church fellowship. But we want them to have more than just warmth and a, and a full belly. We want them to know Christ as Savior and Lord. Think about relatives that you have. Think about neighbors that you have. Think about people that have visited our church. Think about all of those kind of things. And let the Lord bring somebody to mind and pray for them today, okay? There we go. <laughs> if we ever had a world that really got quiet, we wouldn't know what to do with it, would we? It frighten us. Okay. Are you ready to pray? Okay, let's go ahead. Father, as we come before you this morning, we are fully aware, at least I hope we are, that we cannot come to you except through Jesus Christ. We come to you today knowing that we would have no righteousness, no standing before you, no hope of eternal life. We would have nothing at all if it were not for what Jesus did for us. And when we sing that song, it always blesses me to think that on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And we've distorted you so much that most people don't even think about the fact that you're not only a God of love, but you're a God of justice, and you're a God of wrath, and you hate sin. You hate our sin. And when Jesus died on the cross, he not only suffered nails in his hands and his feet, but the judgment of Almighty God came upon him 
for our sin. He took what we deserved. And thank you that he drank the cup completely. And thank you that the wrath of God is satisfied so that we can go to that next verse and we can sing, No guilt in life and no fear in death. And, oh, Lord, I thank you that the devil's weapon of the fear of death has been taken from him so that, as the Bible says, we can actually look and say, where in the world is the sting of death? Jesus has taken it upon himself. And because of that, we know that when our time comes, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Now, Lord, we've got people that are on our heart today who don't have that hope. And our prayer is that they would come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And, Father, would it please you to let us tell them? Would it please you to let us be there when that time comes? Would it please you to let us lead them to faith in Christ? We've got people in this room who have never known the joy of leading someone to Jesus. I pray that they would have that joy. I pray, Lord, that we would be conscious of our responsibility to live for Christ, but also to tell other people about him. And then, Lord, for those people that have been on our heart that we need to contact, I pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God would motivate us to do that and to do it for one reason only, the glory of God. And I pray that it would encourage people, it would help people, it would strengthen people, and I pray that it would make us more aware of others and what they are going through. So now take this time and honor these prayers and glorify your name through them, and may they be powerful, Lord. And I pray, Father, also that you would open up our ears. More than that, open up our hearts to what your word has to say to us today. Give us understanding and we pray this in the name of Jesus amen and amen okay you got a bible if you do say amen if you can read it thank you teacher right and if you have it uh, and you have more than one copy of the word of God and you can carry it openly and meet like this thank a veteran right we take our freedoms for granted don't we and uh, above all, thank Almighty God for the privilege to live in such a country as this. And we're going to the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus once again. Last week we looked at the part of the Ten Commandments that have to deal with God. And uh, today we're going to look at the part that has to do with people. Jesus told us that we're to love the Lord our God with everything we've got. And then the second greatest commandment is that we would love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Where did he get that? Well, it's in Deuteronomy, spelled out just like he put it. But it's also seen even in the Ten Commandments. The part about God and then the part about man. The two things go together. You can't say you love God. In the New Testament, James tells us, or, or John tells us, if you say you love God and you don't love your neighbor, you don't love your brothers, then you're telling a lie. And so the two things always go together. And one of the things that struck me as I was looking at this, 
The Bible um, tells us in Psalm 11, verse 3, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the implication there is not much. Not much. The foundation is where everything rests. And God is giving Israel a moral, ethical, spiritual foundation on which to rest. This is not just do the best you can, do what you feel is right, do what you think is right. See, that happened in the book of Judges. Every man did what was right in their own eyes. And that turns out to be a confusing mess. And I think that's kind of where we are now as a society and as a culture. Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And look what is happening. It doesn't even make sense. You can't even explain it. If you were to try to explain some of the things that are going on in our culture now, some of the things that you and I kind of wrestle with, and you tried to explain it to somebody in 1945, they wouldn't know what you were talking about, and they wouldn't get it at all. Well, we don't really understand it all that well either. We have to, we're told, we have to tolerate it, we have to put up with it, and yet you and I can look and we can see something is not right. With all of the things that are going on in America, with all of the changes that have taken place in recent years, nothing seems to make sense. And isn't it interesting that whether you're talking about Republicans or Democrats, whether you're talking about people that are uh, you know, different races and ethnicities, it doesn't really matter, even different ages, that when they poll them, everybody seems to think that America is on the wrong track. Nobody seems to be confident that we're really on the right track. Something, they say, seems to be wrong. And it doesn't matter which president you put in the White House. It doesn't really matter which party controls Congress. There's a feeling today that something is off track. Now, could I tell you what it might be? Because as I look at Exodus chapter 20 and I read, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. I can check that off as there's a problem in America with that very commandment. As I read on down through these other things, it's interesting to me that all ten of these commandments are under attack. They are being disputed and they are being, um, I guess, disobeyed is kind of a weak word for that. I mean, it's worse than just we disobeyed the commandments. We want to dismantle and do away with, to torpedo the commandments of God. And when we do that, we think, and our culture tells us, we're going to be free. We'll get rid of the shackles of this deity where he has imposed all these things upon us. And we can do anything that we want. And we don't realize we are torpedoing our own foundation and wondering why things don't seem stable. And wondering why things don't make sense. Wondering why there is confusion. 
wondering why lives are falling apart, families are falling apart, and watching our very culture and our nation seemingly disintegrate and crumble before our very eyes. And we look at that and we say, what are we supposed to do? What can you do when the foundation begins to crumble? Well, you better have a foundation expert come in and make some repairs. And that expert is not you. That expert is not me. That expert is not a member of Congress. That expert cannot sit in the White House. We've got to go far above and beyond that to the God of the universe. He is America's only hope. He is the only hope that our nation has. He's the only hope that our world has, and we've got to turn to God. And so when we look at these things, and we think about how we have violated these things, we think about how we flaunt it when we do, and uh, how, how we are shaking our fist and spitting in the face of a holy God, doesn't take much to figure out why saying, God, please bless America, seems to fall on deaf ears. We don't deserve his blessing. We need his grace. We need his mercy. We need his forgiveness. And as we go through these things, you, you already know what I'm getting ready to say. You've already seen these things. May we pray that God would use us to lead people to faith in Jesus Christ to stand up for what is right, and also, as people of faith, to live these things. Far too often, it seems like we point at these things, and we can say what the problem with everyone else is, and then we violate these things ourselves in so many ways. So as we uh, pick up where we left off last week, we look at Exodus 20, Verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land uh, which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Covers it all, doesn't it? And when we think about the way our world operates, I want you to think about how everything I just read is falling apart. It's under attack. And we have the audacity to say, well, those things are old-fashioned and they just don't work. Now, the truth of the matter is they work. They work fine. They work well. The problem is that we don't. Our lives, our thoughts, our actions, our ideas are not working because we're not going God's way. We're not going in the way that we were designed. We're not going in the way that he has commanded. And we are trying to oppose him. We're trying to change 
an unchangeable God. And it ain't going to happen. We are trying to make him fit our plans, our ideas, our thoughts, and it's not going to happen. He is God, and he doesn't change. I want to uh, ask you to consider what all is going on by thinking about this. Point number one is going to be just simply the breakdown. And I want you to notice that, I mean, we could go through every one of these commandments from top to bottom, and we could see how in our media, politicians, in uh, entertainment, in our educational system, and even in our daily lives, these things are constantly being pushed and stressed and broken and reimagined and explained away, and we wonder what is going on. But I'm going to point to one in particular, and I'm going to say that I think that aside from, of course, just the rejection of God as we've seen, this one, honor your father and your mother, is kind of the key. It's the point that sort of holds everything together. I want you to think about disrespect. I want you to think about disrespect and how that has invaded our society. I want you to think about just about any comedian that you've heard recently. And I want you to think about what the subject matter that they spoke of might have been. I want you to think about some of the marches and the rallies that have taken place in Washington, D.C. and other places. And I want you to think about the lawlessness, the disrespect for personal property, private property. I want you to think about the disrespect for people that are attending that rally. And I want you to think about uh, this commandment. I want you to think about how in our culture today, very rarely do you hear a mother or a father held in high esteem. But so often you hear them complained about, you hear them mocked, you hear them cursed. The Bible says there's a generation that curses its father and its mother. I think we are that generation. I think we started back particularly in the 1960s and we decided that we know best and uh, no longer would father knows best rule the day, but we know best. And it's interesting that some of the people that said back in those days, don't trust anyone over 30, they're all senior citizens now, right? And we look at all of this failing to realize we don't stay young forever. And there's a reason why we grow. There's a reason why we get older. And with growing older, we are supposed to grow wiser. Have we? I think about what has taken root in our nation. In my generation, I was just a little kid in the 60s. I didn't participate in any of the anti-war marches 
or down with the establishment marches or anything like that. In fact, I didn't really understand what in the world was going on. In fact, um, I can remember sitting and watching uh, Walter Cronkite. Anybody remember him? And that's the way it is. And uh, I remember seeing him covering anti-war marches. They're burning the American flag. Still kind of gets to me. And carrying North Vietnamese communist flags, the flags of our enemy. And you know why I didn't understand it? Because my dad was in the United States Army and he was serving in Vietnam. Never understood it. And I'm sure that probably helped me to kind of shape my political views and life views and all of that kind of thing because um, I got to hear Grandpa and what he had to say about those people. I got to hear Grandpa's commentary on what Mr. Cronkite was saying. And uh, my Grandpa was a lifelong Democrat. I am not a lifelong Democrat. Okay? Full disclosure. I'm a conservative Reagan-esque Republican, okay? Where did I get that when I have a grandpa who was a yellow dog Democrat? Because it was different back then. There were political philosophies that were different, but there was a love for America, a love for our Constitution, and the idea that we will stand up, Republicans and Democrats, and fight together for our country. It's not like that anymore, is it? Not like that anymore. In fact, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, and those kind of things, in my opinion, are really being threatened and stressed right now. And I think about all of those things and think about what all has changed since I was a little boy watching Mr. Cronkite. And I think about those things in terms of this. What happened to the idea that in America, family matters? But now, get married if you want to, live together if you want to, have babies out of wedlock, do whatever you want to do, walk out on your family, desert your family, all of these kind of things are going on, and yet right there in that one commandment, the breakdown. Honor, we live in a world where there's very little honor right now, but a whole lot of disrespect. Honor your father and your mother. We've got, what, some people say 80-some genders. The Bible gives two, and there's a father and there is a mother. We disrespect marriage, divorce for any reason, don't even bother to get married, just live together. Whatever it is you want to do, it's okay for you to do that. And yet right there in that verse is the concept of one man, it's not fathers, and one woman, it's not mothers, and they are together because the child is to honor both of them and both of them are working together, living honorable lives, I might add, and raising their children in the nurture 
and admonition of the Lord. And the Lord gives a promise with it. And Paul says later on in the New Testament, this is the first commandment with a promise. And yet we've thrown the promise away because we've thrown the commandment away. And the breakdown is we no longer respect the family. And the family, as the family goes, so goes the nation. When are we going to learn? When are we going to figure it out? That God in the beginning created them male and female and said, For this cause... A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And it was to that couple that had become one flesh that he says, Go forth and multiply and fill the earth. God has a plan. We don't. God has a way that works. We don't. God gives a future and a hope. What man does brings death and destruction and condemnation and pain and no wonder our children are so stressed out nowadays they have so much insecurity and we are the ones that need to repent and we are the ones that need to repair because this is where the breakdown really is and we all, we all need to be concerned about all of that. Secondly, I want you to notice then what is the byproduct. When the family falls apart, when there is no structure, when there is no respect for God and God's word and God's laws, when there is no respect for God's principles, when there is no respect for those who have authority over us, when there is no respect for the roles that God has assigned <clears throat> to husbands, to wives, to mothers, and to fathers. When we're trying to homogenize all of it, all we get is like putting a fine meal into a blender. You may have made it all equal, but it isn't worth much, is it? Take a filet mignon. Cook it to perfection. Am I making you hungry yet? Cook a baked potato with it. And then put something green with it as well. And put all of that in a blender. And then pour it into a bowl and take a straw. How many of you want to sign up to eat that? And yet that's what we've done with everything God has given us. We've decided that equality has to rule the day. We've decided that everybody has to be the same. That everybody gets to be what they want. And because of that, we have no distinction. And because of that, we have lost our ability to have any kind of flavor, to have any kind of influence on the next generation. And by the time we have taken this for the last 50 years and blended it all up, no wonder the generation coming up now, they're looking at all of that and they're going, I don't want to eat it. It looks like a dog's breakfast to me. And no wonder they don't want to partake of it. It's time for us to be who God made us and to follow what he has designed for us and to do it with the right kind of pride, I guess we would say, and to do it in full obedience to the Lord and to teach our children how to be men and how to be women of God and to teach them why God has made us that way. Creatively, we are equal in the sight of God, but we all have different functional 
roles. Can I get an amen on that? Are we together? And so when we try to put it all in the blender, then no wonder. Nobody wants it. And then we have the audacity to say that what God has done, well, it just doesn't work anymore. Well, I don't think it's God's problem. I think it's our problem. And we need to cry out to God because he's the only one that can fix it. So the byproduct, you shall not murder. Has the murder rate shocked you ever? When you hear about some of the things that go on, when you hear about life becoming cheap, when you hear about, what is it, way over 50 million abortions, you think about what we have done and the culture of death and how everything is kind of expendable and just a, a throwaway thing, including human beings. When you not only think about the United States, but this goes worldwide. And you think about the people and the governments. I'm amazed now that people are wanting to be socialist and communist, not understanding. Communism has been responsible for killing way more people than Hitler ever thought about killing in the Holocaust. Isn't it interesting? People want to go back to something like that? They want to go to something that is so destructive? Well, when the government becomes everything and life and individuals and rights and all of that end up being nothing, well, no wonder because it cheapens life. Notice the next thing it says, you shall not commit adultery. And as we've said already so many times in this message, marriage is just about out of the window and very little respect for marriage vows. And yet that's what the Bible says. But we don't have any respect for the family and therefore we don't have any respect for the vows that we take even as husbands and wives, even among the church and people who claim to be saved. Notice how the Bible goes on to say, you shall not steal. But we live in a culture that wants something for nothing. We want to be able to throw a brick into a plate glass window and go in and take a TV or a pair of shoes if we want it, just because we want it and because other people have it and we think we deserve it too. Home invasions, you hear about those kind of things all the time. Not to mention the fact that now politicians think they have a right to everything that you earn. Who do they think they are? We say, well, the government will pay for it. The government has no money. It's your money that they are taking and misusing. And we get all of this and we wonder what is happening. Well, the breakdown of the family. No respect. We don't respect other people. We don't respect even their own property, even their own private property. And uh, there are a lot of ways to steal. You can defraud somebody through a business deal where you cheat. You can do it by violence, break into their home, use a pistol or whatever. Uh, borrowing and not returning. We hear about that kind of stuff all the time. That's stealing. It's out and out theft. And even the government doing that, of course, can be considered theft of our property and what we have earned and what we have a right to. All of this kind of stuff breaks down. 
Bible says that you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do you expect that when the media reports on anything that they're going to tell the truth? Do you listen to other people on social media and wonder if what they are saying is the truth? Do you wonder when somebody preaches from a pulpit if what they say is the truth? I mean, this is why we go verse by verse through the Bible. I don't expect you to trust me. I don't expect you to trust my opinions. And I don't want a whole lot of my opinion to be in any sermon that I preach. I want you to know what the Bible has to say because the Bible doesn't lie. You've got to trust what I say is going to be true, and the only truth is the Word of God. That's why you need to crave the Word of God anytime anybody preaches or teaches, not just their opinion or their comedy or anything like that. This is not a performance. This is life or death anymore. And we've got to have the truth of the Word of God. Bearing false witness. Don't lie. Don't gossip. Don't leave a false impression about someone else. Sometimes you might be able to say, have you heard about Mr. No, I hadn't heard. Oh, okay, well, I won't say any more then. What do we just do to that person? We don't even know the depth of all of that. And we can leave a bad impression. We can deceive people. And not to mention, perjury is even acceptable. How many politicians have we heard and can you name that have lied under oath Something you would be in jail for, but nothing has happened to them. What in the world is going on? We've taken all of these commandments, and what have we done? We've rearranged them, we've redefined them, or we have flat out disobeyed them, and we dare God to do anything about it. Well, Psalm chapter 2 says that when the nations gather together, the Lord laughs. And he's still laughing, folks. They're not going to get away with it. Neither are we. Amen? Amen. Number three. We'll close with this. Here's the battleground. The tenth commandment is the one that is the hardest one of all. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Coveting, coveting. That means to have an evil desire for anything else. You know what this boils down to? Some of us could say like the Apostle Paul when he wrote in Philippians chapter 2, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and as touching the law, blameless. Now, Paul was not actually saying that he had kept everything in the law. That was the way it appeared. He said that by the Pharisaical standard, I was blameless. Then later on in Romans chapter 7, Paul tells us that when he was reading the law, he said it was the law saying you shall not covet that taught him that coveting was sin. You know what he said then? When I read the law, all it did was stir up covetousness in me. Want to boil it down? The very last commandment thou shalt not covet says, 
You didn't steal, but you wanted to. You didn't commit adultery, but you wanted to. You didn't murder, but you wanted to. You may not have lied, but you wanted to. And the 10th commandment comes down to this. Desire. Desire. It's like what Jesus said. When a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he's already committed adultery. Where? In his heart. It all begins with desire. You don't sin except in things that you desire to do. You wanted to. It came up. It seemed like the best option. It was the option you wanted. It was the most desirable option. So you did it. You acted upon it. And so the thing that we need to understand, the battleground comes down to what? The desires that we have in our heart. Because our sin comes out of these things that are inside of us that deep down inside we resent the law of God because it won't let us do what we want to do. And there are some things that you don't want to do. It's easy for you to put those aside and feel good about yourself. I kept that commandment. I'm not that bad, am I? Until you get to the point of realizing what are all the things that this past week even, if you had the opportunity, would you have done them? And you look and you say, probably because the desire was there. Spurgeon had a way of coining a phrase. And he said this, Lord, when there's a desire to sin, may there be no opportunity. And when there's opportunity, may there be no desire. Boy, that's the grace of God, isn't it? And that's the way we really need it to be because you and I are filled with all kinds of fleshly, ungodly, sinful desires that we squelch. You know what the problem with that is? It looks good to man. But God looks upon the heart. The heart. And so when we stand before God... And we say, but God, look at all of the things I did. I, did not, I never committed adultery. I never stole. I never bore false witness. We do those kind of things. And then we get to the 10th. And God says, here's where it really comes together. Did you want to? Did you want to? And there we would have to plead guilty as charged. And the Bible says that if you are guilty of one commandment, you're guilty of all the commandments. That puts all of the human race in bad shape, doesn't it? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's why the gospel is so amazing, folks. We have a Savior who came down to earth and for 33 years kept all 10 commandments even from his heart. 
You know why? Because he's the only one that has ever loved God with everything that he had. He's the only one that has ever loved his neighbor as he loved himself. And he did that for you because you couldn't. Because I can't. I'll violate all these commandments before I get to 104th Street. Right? It's easy to do that. But it's hard to keep. And that's why Jesus came to earth. So that when he died on the cross, the innocent one who fulfilled all of this law for you could be punished on the cross. Your sins paid for all of your violations of these commandments paid for in full. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. But he washed it white as snow. And that's why the commandments cannot become our foundation because we have broken them so many times they don't even make sense anymore. Here's the good news. If you'll repent of your sins and you'll trust Jesus, not only will he take away all of your crime of violating God's law, but then... Jesus will become your foundation and not the commandments. Jesus, the one who kept all of these for you, he will be your firm foundation. He will be the cornerstone of your life. And he'll forgive you, he'll instruct you, and he will discipline you, and he'll teach you, and he'll be patient with you, and he'll be merciful to you. And you can build your life upon Christ. Build your marriage upon Christ. Your relationship with God will be built upon Christ. The one who loves you and the one who gave himself for you. So I ask you today, repent of your sins. Turn to Jesus Christ. The only one, the only one who kept all of the law of God. And for those of you who have done that. 1 John 1, 9 tells you that when you violate these things, as we all do, in spirit, if not in letter, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because, again, it goes back to the gospel. Jesus paid it all. And Jesus is the one who is the foundation of our life. When you see other people violating it, you know what you do? You pray for them because if they will repent of their sins and trust Jesus, they can be just as forgiven as you are. And when God forgives, he forgives completely. He forgives eternally. He cast your sin as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more. Why? Because he's a forgetful God? No, because he loves you so much, he chooses not to bring it up. And it is covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can anybody say amen to that? And so, what does America need? A new foundation. What foundation is that? Not just a moralistic foundation. They need a spiritual foundation. The foundation that can only come through repentance and faith in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. My prayer is 
that God will grant to give in my lifetime another spiritual awakening. Where not just our values and our actions are changed, but where our heart is changed and we love and worship God and out of that flows the moral disciplines on how we treat our neighbor, how we treat our family, and how we deal with one another in this world. And only God can change a heart. Thank God that he is still changing hearts. Amen and amen. Father, as we close today, we're simply saying, our hearts, we understand, are desperately wicked. We don't even understand the depth of our wickedness. We're asking you, Lord, to teach us. We're asking you to cleanse us. We're asking you to reform us. And as we look around and see a nation and see other people that are making such a mess and such a mockery of your commandments, of your word, of your law, of your moral standards, we ask you to forgive us first. And we ask you to change us so that we'll be what we ought to be and be ambassadors for Christ. Save the lost. But, oh, Father, would you continue to reform us for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree, would you say amen? Amen. amen. God bless you.